Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm going to be your host today. If this is your first time listening, I would love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. We're in week two of a series called Rescued to Rescue. We think our lives have a lot in common with a hero's story. A hero comes in to make a sacrificial rescue, but we're not the hero Jesus is. We were the ones needing rescue. And now that we've been rescued, we're supposed to become rescuers ourselves. We've been rescued to rescue others as our lives point to the life of Jesus. Today, our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison, talks about how we are to share our stories with people that we like, those who are closest to us. So let's get started. Father, we know that it is because of your goodness that we're here, just your grace. And we come here today just not to go through some ritual, but to come into your presence. So I ask that you help us right now to set aside the distractions that are pulling our attention away and focus for a few minutes on your presence and on your word and on your will. So we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here at the end of this thing. <laughs> if you were here last week, you might have thought I was a little bit mean. I wasn't trying to be. I just think sometimes you don't pull punches. I wanted to tell it like I think it really is. Because basically what I said is that I wish I could arrange for all of you guys to spend a day in hell. <laughs> it's rude, isn't it? Just a day, that's all. Or maybe just a day at Hell's Gate would be enough. So you could watch the faces of those who are entering. Faces of those you don't know and faces of those that you do know. Faces of those you don't like. And faces of those you do like because some of them are heading there too. Faces of neighbors, colleagues, friends. And I wish we could do that so we could really understand the stake of all this stuff. This is not a game that we're playing here this morning. It's that important. If you were here last week, you remember that stuff? Well, since I'm on a roll, I thought I'd get a little bit meaner today. How's that? And again, I'm not trying to be mean. I just want to put it as straight as I can. This is not a game. So again, I wish I could arrange for all of us to spend one day in hell. One day would be enough. Maybe just a day at Hell's Gate so we could watch the faces of a mom or a dad who might be heading there, a sister or a brother, a son or a daughter, a grandson or a granddaughter. I'm talking about family this time, blood family. And this morning when I talk about these things, I want to especially focus on our kids. Because, guys, we are losing too many of our kids. We're losing way too many. Lifeway Research did a study a few months ago on the dropout rate of our kids. They said of those who had been in church, 69% are still attending at age 17. That fell to 58% at age 18. Fell to 40% at age 19. And by the time they're in their 20s, it's one out of three. 
that said the reality is that Protestant churches continue to see a new generation walk away as young adults. Regardless of external factors, they say the Protestant church is slowly shrinking from within. And you have to be ruthlessly honest, guys. How many of the kids who are pushing the church away are in reality pushing God away? And the answer is a bunch of them. Now, maybe those numbers don't take your breath away. They do mine. Unless one of those numbers is your kid, your grandkid. This pic here is a picture of our kids. I believe it was down at Panama City a couple of years ago, right? If we are normal, in a couple of years, this group will be reduced by two-thirds. With many of them never finding their way back. I hope that breaks your heart. I hope that fires you up, blows your mind, especially if one of these kids is your kid or your grandkid. Now, most of us in this room are Jesus followers, which means we consider Jesus our Savior and our Lord, right? He's our Savior. He paid the penalty for our sins. He rescued us from the prospect of an eternity separated from God. He makes it possible for us to live a life worth living in this world, and he offers us a life in the next world, stripped of all of the messiness that corrupts our life in this world. He's our Savior, and he's our Lord. When we call him Lord, that means that his desires for us are not supposed to be suggestions. They're mandates, right? We actually try to do what he tells us to do. Well, here's what Jesus told us to do. Right before he left earth, physically, about 2,000 years ago, you got to understand, before he says these words, these specific words, about seven weeks before he said these words, he was dead. He was lying in a tomb for three days, and then he was not. And then he keeps popping in, showing up for seven weeks, making sure they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who he was, really, and that he was capable of doing what he said he was going to do. And now he's getting ready to go back to the Father. Now, right before he leaves, right before he leaves, he gives us these instructions. These are our marching orders. He says this, you're going to receive power. You're going to need this power. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, witnesses in Samaria, and even witnesses to the end of the earth. He doesn't say you're going to be my defense attorneys right? He didn't say you're going to be my advisors or my recruiters or my cheerleaders or my donors. We talked about all that stuff last week. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. In other words, we're supposed to tell them who he was or is and tell them what he's done for us. Are you doing it? He says, I want you to start in Jerusalem and in Judea. And you got to understand that at the moment Jesus was talking to these guys, they were in Jerusalem, in Judea. They're all Jews. All the early Jesus followers are Jews. The people they're going to be preaching to are Jews. And basically Jesus is saying, start at home. Start with family. Start with other Jews. Start easy. Start where you are. Start with those you like. Start with those who are like you. And I think the same principle goes for us. Start at home. Start with those you like, start with those like you, start where you are. Then he says you're going to be witnesses in Samaria too, which is not going to be nearly as easy because all of these guys knew Samaritans and they hated them. Closest rivals. 
Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritans hated Jews. And Jesus says, I want you to tell them too. I want you to witness to them too who I am and what I have done for you. Because I want them too, Jesus says. And that's going to be hard. And those are our instructions. Don't just tell Jesus to people you like. You're going to take Jesus to people you don't like, to people who disgust you. You're going to try to witness Jesus to people who don't like you, who find you disgusting. That's going to be harder. That's going to be next week, by the way. And then he says, I also want you to be a witness to the ends of the earth. Holy cow, how do you pull that one off? He wants us to witness to Jesus to people who are not part of our life at all. To figure out a way to share Jesus with people outside of Frankfurt, outside of Kentucky, outside of our borders here in this country. And at what cost? Well, we're going to get to that one in two weeks. For today... Start at home. Start at home. Start where you are. Start with those you like. Start with those who are like you. Whatever else that means, and it means a lot more than this, but whatever else it means, it means start with family. Start with family. Start with your kids. Start with your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your family. Listen, guys, the single most important job I have on this earth is not to be the pastor of Capital City Christian Church. Most important job I have in my lifetime is to do whatever I can to connect my wife, my kids, my grandkids, my family to Jesus. Do you believe that? That's your most important job too. And I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your profession is, your passions. I don't care what your bucket list is. The most important job God has given you in this world is to do whatever you can to connect your spouse, your siblings, your kin to Jesus forever. That's your biggest job. Now guys, when you look around at some of the kids around us, you've got a feel for them. Because it seems sometimes like a lot of the kids in our community just don't have a shot. They don't have a chance. There are kids in our community who are hungry. And they're not hungry because they don't have money for food. They have money because their parents spend their food money on drugs and games and toys. One of the programs at the school is called Backpack Snacks. And apparently they send some snacks home in backpacks with some of the kids who need some solid nutrition over the weekend. I heard a story about one of the kids who hides his backpack snacks whenever he gets home so his parents won't steal them. There are parents in our community who abuse our kids in so many ways. Some of them are beaten physically. Some of them are beaten emotionally. Some of them are sexually abused. There are parents in our community who neglect their kids. Kids have to pretty much raise themselves. And I'm telling you guys, kids will never do a good job at raising themselves. We have kids who are abandoned by their parents. Abandoned for some love or some pleasure for something else. You know what's worse than that? Worse than all that? We have parents in our community who believe in God parents in our community who believe in heaven and hell, who believe that eternity matters more than life in this world. And some of those parents simply won't do whatever it takes to point their kids towards Jesus. How much do you have to hate a kid to let your kid be eternally separated from God without a fight? That's as plain as you can put it, isn't it? I know we can't choose Jesus for our kids. 
but we can do everything doable to connect our kids and our grandkids to Jesus. And that's our single most important job. Now I think most, not all, but most, every parent wants the very best for their kids, right? We do. Very few exceptions. You don't have to be a Jesus follower to want the best for your kids. You just have to be a parent. I punched in the search string this last week what parents really want for their children. Very first hit referred to a survey that was done of 5,000 parents in 13 different countries. And they were asked to choose three, which is why these numbers are a little bit skewed, it seems. Here's what they found. 64% want their kids to be happy. How cool is that? 35% want their kids to lead a healthy lifestyle. Big. 34% want their kids to earn enough to enjoy a comfortable life. Cool. 30% want their kids to be successful in their career. 29% of their kids want their kids to fulfill their potential. And it's all good stuff. I mean, I like all that stuff, don't you? I want that for my kids. I want that for my grandkids. But for a Jesus follower, this is a terrible list. It's terrible. What's missing? What do you want most for your kids? That they're successful, that they're happy, that they're good? Or that they connect with Jesus seriously for an eternity? Now, you know what the right answer is supposed to be, I hope. I mean, really, guys, if there really is a God, and if we are really meant to do life with God, if that's how life works best, if there really is a heaven and a hell, if all that stuff's true, how could any loving parent, any loving parent, want anything more for their kids than seeing them do life with Jesus as their Savior and Lord? I mean, that's the pinnacle, the apex, the zenith. It's not even a contest, guys. And I know that none of us can force anybody to choose Jesus. You can't make a decision for your kid. But love requires that we do absolutely everything doable to point them down that path. Love requires that we remove any hindrance, any obstacle that would prevent them from going down that path. Now I'm a little bit weird on this next part. Some of you guys might think I'm a little weird on a lot, but so you might push back and you might be legitimate to push back on this piece. But here it is. I honestly don't believe that God wants any person, any kid, to spend any time separated from him over a lifetime. I think we were meant to be born into a Jesus-following family. That was his plan. We were meant to seamlessly morph from a borrowed faith to a faith of our own, and we were meant to die as Jesus followers. We were meant to be Jesus followers from birth to death. That ought to be our normal. That's the way it ought to be with us. That's how it ought to be with our kids. Now, if you've been around a while, you realize I don't like using my own story as a model. Sometimes I tell you about my own foibles. There's plenty of those. But there are things that are profoundly important that my parents did right with me to set me on a God-honoring path. I was born into a Christian family. Every kid deserves that, to be born into a Christian family. I believed God. I loved God as a three-year-old, as every three-year-old should. And if you want to see three-year-olds who love God, walk down the hall to our three-year-old class, and you see three-year-olds who love God right? That is so cool and so pure. 
I love God as a five-year-old because every five-year-old should. I love God because my parents did, and my grandparents did, and my brothers and sisters did. Our whole family did. It was cool. When I was about eight, it became clear to me that I needed to make a decision for myself. That just because my parents believed doesn't mean that it naturally follows me my whole life. I have to make a decision of my own. So in the normal childlike way, I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I think he already was. I think he always had been. But I had to make that decision for myself. So I did. And like every little kid, I was tempted from time to time to drift away from Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Still am. And I became pretty good at sin, but I don't think I ever really seriously tried to push God away. And I think I stayed firmly in his grace all the way till grad school. When for the first and only time in my life, I came that close to pushing God away. How mortifying that would have been for my children and grandchildren. I was right on the edge when suddenly it seemed almost like an epiphany. Following Jesus made way more sense than any alternative. And it all made sense to me. And I'm still a pretty still skilled sinner and I still tussle some time to time with some insoluble questions and some occasional doubts. But I think, I'm pretty sure that I've been a lover of God and I've been a child of God my whole life. And I think that's how it's supposed to be makes for a really dull testimony and it makes for a really rich life. It's supposed to be our normal birth to death in the family of God. But my parents had it easier with me than you parents do. I had it easier with my kids than you parents do. When I was little, being raised by my parents, when I was raising my kids, I lived in a world where believing in God was normal and acceptable. We believe that there are some things that were true for every person everywhere all of the time, right? We believe that there was truth, solid truth, and the Bible was a window into that truth. We considered the Bible authoritative and relevant. When I was growing up, there were some frictions between science and the Bible, but Basically, people believed that the science and the Bible were compatible. When I was growing up, most people believed the church was a good place, a moral place, led by basically good and moral people, filled with basically good and moral people. So there weren't a whole lot of hoops to go through from not following Jesus to following Jesus. You're almost there. It's a different world now, guys. I don't know if you've heard this before, but we are considered now a post-Christian culture. Post-Christian. We live in a world that is post-Christian. You can see it on our TVs, and our movies. You can hear it in our music. It's taught in our schools. The kids are being taught a post-Christian worldview. Our kids are being told there is no such thing as truth for everybody everywhere at all time. You've got your truth and I've got mine. Our kids are growing up in a world where the Bible is not considered authoritative. Just because the Bible says so doesn't make it so. In fact, a lot of people in our world are being told the Bible is archaic, it's unsophisticated, it's quaint. In fact, some of what it says is unenlightened and some of what it says is actually immoral. 
Our kids are growing up in a world where science is considered way more authoritative than the church. And the two are fundamentally incompatible. Our kids are growing up in a world where churches like this one and pastors like me are considered quaint and irrelevant. And by many others, even dangerous. So it's harder, guys. It's harder to move our kids today along a God-honoring, Jesus-following path. You can't do it accidentally anymore. You can't settle for half-hearted tries. It's not going to happen by accident. If there really is a God, if there really is a heaven and hell, if Jesus really is the Son of God, and if our most important job in this world is to do whatever we can to connect our kids to God through Jesus, then we need to get serious about it. And we better do it smart. Because listen, this is going to sound weird. If we keep doing what our parents did, we're going to lose our kids. If we keep on doing what our parents did, we're going to lose our kids. Now, I'm going to do some coaching. Right now, this part, I want to give our families some coaching. This is for how we raise God-honoring kids outside these walls in our homes. How are you a witness for Jesus in your home with your children? Because it's the most important job any of us has as the Jesus follower to do whatever we can to connect our husband or our wife, our son or our daughter, our grandkid, our blood family to Jesus forever. So how do we get it done? I'm going to start by identifying three of the mistakes. These are mistakes that a whole lot of our Jesus-following parents are making. Okay? Mistake number one. A lot of parents, a lot of Jesus-following parents have bought into the myth that you shouldn't shove Jesus at your kids. Poppycock. I am fully aware that I cannot choose Jesus for my kids. But as long as my kids are in my home, I can insist that they start down the path of a Jesus follower. That's what a parent does. God gives us the responsibility to teach our kids right and wrong, to cultivate God-honoring values. God gives us the responsibility to help our kids grow up, to teach them how to respect people, to respect themselves, and to respect God, right? And it amazes me how many parents accept their responsibilities to teach their kids how to eat well, to study hard, to do their best at some sport or hobby, we accept our responsibilities to take care of our kids when they're sick, to make sure they develop healthy habits like getting enough sleep. We make our kids eat their peas. We make our kids go to school. We make them go to practice, and then we refuse to make them go to church. We make them turn in their homework, and we don't make them say their prayers. Don't you think, guys, as long as they live under your roof, and as long as you're paying their bills, you can insist that as a family, you're going to do life together as Jesus followers. It's good parenting. Stake number two. Way too many of our parents claim to be Christians but live otherwise. We live duplicitous lives. Or we put on one face on Sundays inside this place and another face the rest of the week. Listen. Listen, this is really important. There is nothing, there is nothing that will kill the faith of a child faster than the hypocrisy of a parent. 
Nothing will kill the faith of a child faster than the hypocrisy of a parent. And we do have a lot of parents who want their kids to learn about God in this place. They want us to teach their kids about God. But outside these walls, their lives betray that Jesus doesn't mean much to them. And if you want your kids to do life with Jesus, you need to do life with Jesus. I'm going to get back to that one. One more mistake, mistake number three. There are a whole lot of parents who are just afraid to talk to their kids about God. I understand that. It can be hard. Kind of like parents who don't want to have that talk about sex with their kids, right? God's right up there with them. Don't want to have that talk about God with their kids. They know that they don't know too much about God. What if their kids answer, I ask a bunch of questions they don't have answers to? <laughs> You're just supposed to be a witness, not the defense attorney. Just tell them what you do know. Tell them what he means to you. Tell them who he is and what he's done for you. Maybe they'll ask questions you can't answer. That's okay. All kinds of questions I can't answer. What you do know is that Jesus took your sins to the cross and Jesus was raised from the dead by God. What you do know about God, what you do know about Jesus is way bigger than anything you don't know. Just be a witness. How can we be witnesses to our kids? There's some very concrete things that our parents can do, that we grandparents can do. This is huge, and this is the first. This is the biggest. Just do life as a Jesus follower. If you want to be a witness to your kid, show them. Be a witness by showing them. Do the stuff of Jesus followers and insist that as long as your kids are in your home, they do life as a Jesus follower, and they do the stuff that Jesus followers do. Attend church together. And make it part of the rhythm of your life, not just an occasional thing when you feel like it. It's part of who we are and what we do. And it is way more important than so many of the things that we put in its place. How about praying together? Doesn't have to be fancy. How about just thanking God for your food? Or how about praying for your kid and with your kid when he's sick or hurting or struggling? Just pray together. Let them see you pray. Teach them how to pray. You can even read and discuss the Bible together. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I challenged everyone in this church family to do the version verse of the day for 30 days. Just try it for 30 days. One minute reading the verse of the day from the version, and one minute praying to God about it. You could do that as a family. Or how about volunteering to serve together as a family, mom and dad, kids, side by side? Maybe at one of the outreach events here at our church. Maybe something outside this church. But we serve together because we're Jesus followers. But all of this stuff is just mop-up. The single most important thing you can do to connect your kids to Jesus is to connect with Jesus yourself. I mean, guys research this stuff. They'll tell you that the best predictor of a young person's faith is the faith of their parents. It's not the faith of the pastor. It's not the faith of the student pastor. It's not the faith of their friends. The single most important influence on a kid's faith is the faith of his dad and his mom in that order. So if you're blowing God off, they'll learn from you how to blow God off. If you're trying to learn to live with him even when life is hard, they're going to learn what it looks like to do life with Jesus even when it's hard. And again, I know we can't choose Jesus for our kids. I wish we could. But I can worship God for my kids. I can pray to God for my kids. I can serve God for my kids. 
I can read the scriptures for my kids. They're going to learn that stuff by watching us, parents and grandparents. So we've got to do it well. Now, I'm not quite done. I've got a little bit of coaching to do for the church family. That's all stuff that we can do at home. I need to coach us as a church family how we can help each other raise God-honoring, Jesus-following kids. But before we do that, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, and I want to have a specific focus for it. This is a, something that the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread... He gave thanks to God for that bread, and he broke it into pieces, and he said, this bread is my body, and I'm giving it for you, and I want you to eat it in remembrance of me. We do that every week here at the Lord's table. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, that little cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. He says, it's an agreement. This, he said, do it in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And every week, we come to these tables, and we eat that bread, and we drink that cup. But here's the line that sometimes we miss. This is the most important line. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he comes again. You know what that's saying? Every time you come to this table, you're a witness. Every time you come to this table, you're a witness to your family, you're a witness to your kids, you're a witness to your friends. You're telling people that this is God's payment for my sins, and I need his grace, and I accept it. This is a part of our witness. We do this every week as a family. It's part of our witness to the rest of our family. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. This is part of it. Now, before we do that, we're going to sing a song. And in this song, it's going to talk about kind of the heart of what this thing is about. When you sing the song, I don't want you to just listen to music. I want you to actually ponder on the words. This is some of what you're going to say. Who could imagine so great a, a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory he stepped down to wear my sin and to bear my shame. The cross has spoken and I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I am yours forever. Jesus Christ, you're my living hope. And that's what you're saying when you come to this table. Let's stand and sing this together. Hey guys, this Stephen, this is Jackson. These are two of my five grandchildren. This is why this stuff is so important to me. There's nothing more precious than our kids and our grandkids, right? Nothing more important to us than seeing our kids and our grandkids connect with Jesus for a lifetime, for an eternity. That's why this stuff is so big. Our focus has been on being witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, witness to those we like, people who are like us, starting at home, especially family. I did a little coaching on how we can raise God-honoring children at home, I think. I want to do a little coaching on how a church family can help each other raise God-honoring kids. I will never forget a conversation that I had nearly 25 years ago. Back then, Capital City was a pretty traditional church. We were just starting to sing fewer and fewer of the old hymns. 
And I was talking to one of our grandparents who was getting more and more uncomfortable with the changes we were making. And they asked me, don't you want our kids to grow up knowing more of the great hymns? And I can be a twit sometimes, hard to believe. But I said, if you're concerned about your kids knowing the great hymns, why don't you play them at your house when your grandkids come over? And here's what they said. They said, because if I did that, they wouldn't want to come here anymore. I'm serious. That's what they told me. So you don't want to drive your grandkids away from your house, but you do want me to drive them away from God's house, right? I actually didn't say that. I should have. I just thought it. And they asked me again, don't you think our kids need to know the great hymns? And I said, honestly, no, I don't care. I want them to grow up knowing Jesus. Don't you? Isn't that the passion of your heart? It is mine. And I want to make sure that Capital City does anything short of sin to reach our kids because they're our greatest treasures. Do you believe that? Let's have a little light in the room if we can, just a little bit more. How many of you guys here in the room work at all with our kids? Students, little guys, stand up. Would you do that, please? Stand up, guys. Stand up and just stay there for a moment. Look around. Guys, these are our heroes. They're our front line. And they need help. And I hope that over the course of this next year, you'll help them. You're going to have an opportunity to help them in a variety of ways. And I told you last week that every single church, every church tends to drift from being externally focused to internally focused. It means they drift from being bent on reaching others for the kingdom to taking care of their own. We exist as a church to reach others for the kingdom first, and after that to take care of our own. And if we're going to be an effective, evangelistic, externally focused church, we have got to be great with our kids. We've got to do kids' ministry great. In fact, right now our elders are studying this book. It's called Gen Z. I don't know if you guys realize it, but our youngsters now are not millennials. Our millennials are Gen Zers. I mean, our youngsters are Gen Zers. Gen Z is basically from zero to 20, right? Anything above that right now, 20, 30-somethings, those are your millennials. But if you're going to reach these kids, you've got to understand how they tick because every generation thinks a little bit differently. What it's going to take to reach them is a little different than what we used before. We want to be as effective as we can here at Capital City at reaching our kids. Some churches are getting it done really well. We're doing some of these things. We want to do them better. These are things that we want to do well. Number one, believe it or not, even though our kids are being told every day there's no such thing as absolute truth, if we want to reach our kids, we insist on 100% truth and 100% grace. We don't equivocate on either one, right? We speak God's truth without compromise. You're not going to win people to Christ and mince on the truth. You're not going to be able to do that. And we never, ever, ever quit extending God's grace. God's truth is scandalous in this culture. God's grace is scandalous in this culture. We want to be scandalous at both God's truth and God's grace. Number two, we have to empathize. Empathize. It's too easy when you get older, like me, to get judgmental, critical, disapproving, disparaging, and condemning, right? Because they're weird. 
these little guys. They need to see us empathize. It's hard for our kids, guys. It's way harder for our kids than when we were kids. At least we grew up in a superficially Christian culture. They're growing up in a post-Christian culture. They're getting slammed every day with attacks on following Jesus. They need to see our empathy. Number three, we've got to prioritize. If we're going to be an externally focused church, if we're going to be growing the kingdom of God, we have to make our kids and our families an extremely high priority. We've got to support them, resource them, and involve them. And you're going to have opportunities over this next year to support our kids and our student ministries with your money, your talent, your sweat, and your time. And we need a lot of you guys to step up. Most important thing we do, right? Number four, this one's going to sound a little word. We have to love on our community. Let me tell you how that fits. Instead of just sitting inside these walls condemning those who are not us, we've got to find ways to love on those who are not us. It's important to our kids. They like to have a cause, making a difference in their world. They need to see that it's important to us too. We should be helping them do that. Number five, this is so big. We've got to be loving on our kids. So important. Every one of our kids needs to know that our church family loves them. I mean, even if you don't get them, even if you think they're weird, sometimes off their rockers, and they are, right? Did you know, according to research, that a loving church family is way more powerful than a cool church family? Warm is the new cool, we're told. Let's love on them. Learn their names. Learn their stories. Let's be authentic with them. Let's love on our kids. And most importantly, this is the big one, guys. Love God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, guys. We love God for our kids. We love God for our friends. We love God for our neighbors. We love God for anyone else that God wants to touch through us. You've got to worship God. When you come into this room, you're not just worshiping for yourself. Our kids are near you. You're worshiping God for them. Did you know that how you worship in this room will either draw our kids towards God or push them away from God? Did you know that? Let's worship for our kids. Let's do life with God for our kids. They're worth it. One more thing. You can't lead your kids where you've never gone. Some of you guys can't lead your kids to Christ because you've never connected with Christ. It's that important, guys. Let's get it done. If you're not following Jesus, you're a parent, grandparent, let's get it done. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. It's worth it for you. It's worth it for them. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that you will just impress upon our hearts the seriousness of what this is about. We're talking about an eternity with or without you. Help us to be great at our kids, Lord. Help us to do whatever we can, short of sin, to connect them to Christ. We love you dearly. They're worth it. And Lord, if there are those in this room who have not connected with you personally, I pray that this morning they'll feel your presence, they'll feel your nudge, they'll know it's the right thing to do, and they'll get started in their life with you. Thank you for Jesus. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Guys, if you want to connect with Christ, I'm going to be hanging around down here at the front after the service. We've got other Jesus followers, other elders are down here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to get that thing started.
couple of announcements before I let you go. These are important, and we're going to have a brief congregational meeting. Announcement number one, in two weeks, we've got a Thanksgiving meal. It's going to happen right after this service, a Thanksgiving meal. We're going to provide the ham and the turkey and the dressing, the potatoes and the green beans. The rest is going to be potluck. There are two things that you need to do. Number one is this. Some of you guys, if you're good cooks, if you're not a good cook, please do not volunteer. If you're a good cook, we need you cooking some turkeys. Okay, we're going to parse out a bunch of turkeys. People are going to cook them. They're going to bring them back. If you're really good at it, we would love to have to, to try it out. Okay, so if you can cook a turkey for us, come and tell one of us on staff, and we'll connect you with a turkey that you can cook. You won't even have to pluck it, right? The other thing you can do is that part of it's going to be potluck. Outside of these basics, we're going to ask you to bring something. So I want to just kind of steer you. Please bring brownies. Okay. <laughs> Especially the chewy kind, all right? If they're nice and chewy, not too cake-like. Like them, they're, they're kind of chewy. Not too, not too runny either, just really good and chewy. And if you can put some, if, if you put something like coconut in it, that's good. You know, nuts in it, that's good. I don't care, but plenty of brownies. If you have to, you can bring a, a, maybe a pumpkin pie and a lemon meringue pie too. But be sure to focus on the brownies, okay? <laughs> Next week also is our Feed the Need. We're in that this month. Um, I, got, I got approached last night over at Franklin County at the, at the pageant. One of the guys from the food pantry came up and thanked me for our church's support of the food pantry. He says, this church makes the biggest difference, okay? A lot of people we supply food for during these holidays, and this feed the need is one of the ways that we restock the food pantry. Next week, canned meat, so go looking for spam, right? Oh, that's humor. Go look for canned meat. Bring it next week, and we'll make sure that it gets to the food pantry, and then the last thing is that right when you are dismissed, we're going to have the annual congregational meeting. Don't be afraid. Our congregational meeting right now means we hand you a ballot, you mark the ballot, and you can leave. It's not going to take a long time, okay? Now, if you're not a part of the Capital City family and you want to leave as soon as I say amen, escape. Get out of here, you know, and this is your chance. Um, but it's, it's really important to us. This is an opportunity to vote on next year's budget, next year's leadership. Bobby Scott's going to come up here in a minute. He's the chairman of our elders, and he's going to lead us in that congregational meeting. So why don't you pray with me, please? Father, we're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful for Jesus, what he means for all of us. And I do pray, Lord, that we will be witnesses, powerfully effective. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Go stand tall for God, guys. Thanks.